This is the Cajun Strong Style Podcast. 1037 The Game's exclusive pro wrestling podcast. Making his way to the podcasting ring. Hailing from the heart of Cajun country. It's me. It's me. It's the world famous CD. Let's ring the bell and get this party started off right. And welcome, everyone, to the Cajun Strong Style Podcast, 103.7 The Game's exclusive pro wrestling podcast. Another week off, because, well, football and life kind of gets in the way of things when it comes right down to it. But on the bright side, I am back after a little bit of another mini hiatus with another edition of the Cajun Strong Style Podcast, episode number 21. 21. Yes, you heard me right. Episode 21 of the Cajun Strong Style Podcast. Appreciate you listening in, however you're doing so, be it through Audio Mac, be it through 1037thegame.com, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts from. Make sure you leave a subscribe. Just search 1037 The Game. You'll find the Cajun Strong Style Podcast, and I recommend you go do that if you haven't already. Now, without further ado, let's get right into it, involving everything going on in the world of pro wrestling I think one of the bigger headlines happened not too long before I got on the air, not before I started recording, and that was some news concerning what's going on in the front office. And I'll start there. I didn't necessarily intend to start there, but it's some news that I think is really, really cool. And that is Erica Nardini. Now, you might not necessarily know that name, but you will know the name of the company that she's a CEO for, Barstool Sports. Yes, Barstool Sports CEO Erica Nardini has been named to the WWE Board of Directors. That is a wild headline that I saw pop up today. Just before I was about to start recording, I had all my notes planned out. I was going to talk about TakeOver. I'll get to that in a little bit. also going to talk a little Victory Road because that was one hell of a show. Well, way better than I expected, but I still have some, some complaints. That being said, we'll start off with Eric Nardini, the CEO of Barstool Sports, named, the, named to the board of directors for the WWE, the third member that's a female joined the board joining, obviously, Stephanie McMahon. And this was a real surprise when I saw the release. Lorraine Ong, the former president of the Travel Channel, is also part of the board of directors. And with Nardini, it's a high-profile move for her. She's led Barstool since 2016 and also helps on the advisory boards for the recipe, recipe website Food52 and the Premier Lacrosse League, a little PLL for you, if you will. And according to Vince McMahon, I'm going to go ahead and do my best Vince McMahon impersonation while reading this quote. For entertainment purposes only. Well, pal, Erica is a seasoned executive with a tremendous track record of building businesses, developing experiences, and pal, she is great at engaging different audiences across the media ecosystem. Her entrepreneurial spirit, business acumen, and understanding of today's consumers will serve as a perfect addition to our board of directors. Hopefully the second one was a lot better than the, I can't do this anymore because I am not Bruce Pritchett. But anyways, it's really cool the fact that Erica Nardini is going to be a part of this. She's had a lot of different stops, including, you know, she's overseen the partnership with Penn National Gaming that uh, Barstool has. It's definitely kind of where the company bought, the gambling operator bought 36% of Barstool at a $450 million valuation, which includes the launch of the Barstool Sportsbook, which is really cool stuff to say the least. And this is huge because of the fact you get more of a women's perspective in the world of pro wrestling from her, that's intriguing. Now the fact you're going to possibly start seeing more and more of those, but that's a real million dollar question to see how this kind of continues going forward. That being said, 
Now let's get to some of the stuff going on in the world of pro wrestling because there's a lot of stuff I want to get to. But we'll start off with Victory Road that happened on Saturday. In full disclosure, I think many of you maybe listening aren't necessarily huge on Impact Wrestling. It's hard to find these days. you got to largely watch it on Twitch on a Tuesday night at 7 o'clock. And let's be honest, a Tuesday ain't necessarily the best time to kind of be watching pro wrestling. It's usually saved for Monday, Wednesday, or Friday. He's got Monday Night Raw, Wednesday Night Dynamite, and NXT, and then SmackDown. And somewhere right in the middle of that, all that, is Impact Wrestling. And they're getting ready for Bound for Glory at the end of the month. And I wanted to give this a chance to kind of check out this pay-per-view to get an idea of what's going on with the product. I like to try and do that every now and again and just go ahead and see what else is going on. A couple weeks ago, I did a look back, look at the Ring of Honor and how they're doing. And now I was able to kind of see the second episode earlier today because now Stadium, which I'm a, you can watch simulcast of 103.7 The Game's fine programming on, 133HD and 1133 on LUS Fiber, also 32.1 is where you go for Stadium. Over here in the Acadiana area where we're located. And it's really cool that we're doing this, by the way. But I wanted to see how they're doing and see how things look as we get closer to their biggest show of the year. And I have to say, I was intrigued. I think there's a lot of guys out there that I know and I've seen them do things. I've been able to keep tabs on what's going on, thanks in large part to Reddit and everything else. But actually sitting down and watching a TNA, excuse me, Impact Wrestling pay-per-view for the first time in a long time, I absolutely enjoyed sitting there Sunday afternoon in between football and everything watching this show go down. And it all kind of began, decently enough, with Team Triple XL taking on the Rascals. By the way, the Rascals are probably one of my favorite parts of Impact Wrestling over the last couple of years because they're entertaining as all get out. They have a great gimmick. And also, they're really good in the ring. The Hot Fire Flame, when I saw that in their debut, I was like, okay, these guys are awesome. I want to see them wrestle all the time. But it was a fine opening contest. Rascals went over. But I absolutely love some of the little things. And I've always mentioned this. The little things in terms of production always will catch me, catch my eye, and I like a lot of it. And this is one of those. The entrance for Team Triple XL. They had the camera. It was basically shaking every time they took a step. And to me, may have not been you know necessarily quote-unquote planned, but I like the way it was worked in terms of production because, again, it makes them look like they are much larger than life, quite literally. They are triple XL. They're big, bad mamma jammas. And this builds that kind of intrigue. Now, it was just that little thing that made me realize this isn't a comedy act. They're actually somewhat legit because, I mean, these are two really like huge some bucks and you know that this dude is just going to wind up like causing all kinds of havoc and lo and behold they actually did but it was still not necessarily my favorite thing in the world it was an okay match you know not necessarily a whole lot of intrigue i didn't see the hot fire flame it is what it is but you know it was a fine opener then we get to Brian Myers, Tommy Dreamer, the worst match of the night in my book. I think it's just because Tommy Dreamer just does not have it anymore. It was a very much plotting match. Took a while to kind of really get going and couldn't quite get out of a, the next gear. It was very much just, it felt sad to see him in the ring against guys who are in a little bit better condition. Case point, Brian Myers, even Moose back at Slammiversary. It's just 
Tommy Dreamer was never really a great wrestler, but in this case, you could just tell he was not all there, at least to me. But I will say this. This is the one highlight, also a low light all at the same time, because Dreamer hit possibly the worst sky high ever. He only really had one leg when he picked him up and put him down, and he went for two. But I did laugh at him saying, after Myers kicked out of two, was that it worked for D'Lo for years. Again, Impact sure loves to be meta with a lot of different things. I mean, Johnny Swinger's entire gimmick has been meta. But it was just very much, you know, eh. Then you get the finish. And I like the way that the finish was talked about on Twitter. Because Brian Myers basically called it the clothesline from Stanford. And he hit him with it after crotching Dreamer on the ropes. Again, I don't need to see Dreamer wrestle on a pay-per-view anymore. Just, just stick him towards, you know, the regular impact shows and have them in like short matches. Cause it's too long. I don't think he has it anymore. Then things get a lot better. I think things got better after the first two matches. Cause I wasn't necessarily as intrigued. It's just whatever, but the defeat Rohit challenge or current X division champion is doing like an open challenge. A lot like what we've seen with like, you know, John Cena or even more recently Cody Rhodes with the TNT title where he defended every single week. And I love the fact that it was against Willie Mack. Willie Mack's probably one of my favorite wrestlers that I completely like, don't remember a whole lot of. But when I see him, he absolutely crushes it every single time. I saw him back at Lucha Underground. Some of the stuff at PWG has been absolutely fantastic. But I can say, Willie Mack is a big dude, but he's able to do some really cool stuff. And he's smooth with some of those really like big spots. His Hurricane Rana... For a guy that I believe is probably about 300 pounds, looks great. And I think Rohit really impressed me as well because he had a great pre-match promo. And his in-ring work and his understanding of what it is to be a heel is really good too because the way the finish was. I'll get to that in a minute. But I just wish there was something a little bit more of a gimmick to the challenge. Because, again, it's the defeat Rohit challenge. And, you know, I would love it to be like the 15 minutes of fame thing that Morrison did back in the day in ECW whenever he won the title. Even something like, you know, a decade ago when Beer Money did the Off the Wagon Challenge. Well, you have, it's a defeat Rohit thing, but like, let's say, you know, it's a 10-minute time limit. And, you know, I can something that can really draw heat. Like, let's say Rohit can use weapons, but you can't like some kind of BS way of going about it to where like Rohi will win and be able to do what he wants in the process because you know, that's going to draw a good bit of heat down the road. But again, I like the way they did this. The match was really good. And at this point, this is the best match of the card. And that's saying something considering the fact that the second match just was the worst, but then it ends with the screwy finish, which really kind of affected my thoughts on it overall. But I'm interested to see what happens going forward. Because Rohit and Willie Mack have a double down in the corner. They basically kind of do the little noggin knocking. And Rohit rolls out of the ring and loses via countout, which means he retains the title. So possibly this is going to continue into Bound for Glory. But I wasn't too keen on the inconclusive finish. It'll be interesting to see how this works going forward. And then came the, the first women's match of the night. And again, hadn't necessarily watched a whole lot of Impact. But I did know Tennille Dashwood, formerly Emma, wasn't Impact Wrestling. So I haven't watched a whole lot of her this stuff in a while. But this was an instance where I was enjoying what I saw to start. 
He is a, came back from a little bit of a break. I think it was a backstage pre-tape. And then, you know, we got I'm trying to think right now. You know, we've got, you know, Daniel Dashwood, Jordan Grace, but it starts off with Caleb Conley, now Caleb with a K. And it's like he's a photographer. I guess he's an influencer and basically is the photographer for Daniel Dashwood. I love the way they're doing this. And I feel like he's got a lot better of a gimmick because he's not over the top, like bombastic type of guy. He is working that role extremely well, as opposed to what we see with Robert Stone over at XT. And trust me, I will throw shade at him, uh, Robert Stone, any given day. I just wish he would go away. But then we get to the match itself. First off, congrats to Jordan Grace and Jonathan Gresham for getting married over the weekend. This was Daniel Dashwood, Jordan Grace. These two had a really good storyline going into this. But it was a just in terms of the match itself, you just went in there with no context. Really good match between two good women's wrestlers. We knew it was going to be good, but it was so much fun to see these two go off. To Daniel, a little bit of like a badass wrestler, but also with a little beautiful people as well. How you got the photographer taking selfies. Really fun stuff. But then I also started to realize how much I hate Josh Matthews. At this point, I had to turn off the... I muted the feed that I was watching. And I just could not get into it. And it goes on to be a really fun match. Caleb distracts the ref to prevent you know them, him seeing Grace tap to kneel out. Grace beat to kneel by submission, I should say. And then Dashwood hits the spotlight kick for the win, which looked absolutely brutal the way it sounded was perfect very well done and then we get to a unsanctioned match between rhino heath versus reno scum now it's because of the fact that heath is still not under contract despite the fact they had they've been building up for weeks about possibly booking this show and getting it done i would love i mean i would absolutely love to see what happens with you know heath slater and the story i think we're going to see that payoff Sooner rather than later. It's a great tag team match. Very well done. And it continues the story about Heath wanting to get signed. And the will he or won't he type situation. And it continues when they go into Gorilla. And Scott Demore mentions that there will be an offer on the table for him. And negotiations will start on Tuesday during this week's impact. So I'm looking forward to seeing how that story progresses going forward. And then, you know, we get to... Things start picking up because it's Moose taking on Trey Miguel. And I'll say this. I remember watching Moose back when he was in Ring of Honor and felt like he had so much potential. And I feel like Moose, without his theme song and without all the other stuff, he just has lost a lot of momentum in my eyes. Now, I'm sure he's done great since being over in TNA Wrestling back and now with Impact and being the TNA champion, even though TNA is no longer a brand, which really makes things so confusing, but it is what it is. But I still remember that potential. And then it's like you see him with the cheapo instrumental theme, and it just doesn't feel nearly the same. Story was still great with Moose wanting to find his TNA title. EC3 is starting to bury it along with everything that TNA related. It's basically going to kill that off. I love the fact they're doing that finally. But it was a hard-hitting contest. Moose brought the heat with a lot of hits. Trey Miguel basically avoided the late ripcord clothesline and rallied back. And he actually won after a distraction from EC3. EC3 didn't do anything. He just had his logo pop up on the screen on the Tron. And that was enough 
to help Miguel get the win. And I love the fact that Trey Miguel got a big win. And after the match, we got a backstage segment that ended with Moose being attacked by EC3 as they start hyping up the funeral angle that they're going to do on Tuesday. Again, this all kind of set it up towards what's going on with the with Impact Wrestling on Tuesday, and I love that. Then we get to the Fatal 4-Way match, which was a little weird, but it was basically a feature to hype up the Impact Tag Title match at Bound for Glory in a few weeks. And it was Ace Austin, Josh Alexander, Carl Anderson, and Alex Shelley in a Fatal 4-Way. First of all, three out of those four guys I've loved to watch over the years. Josh Alexander's starting to grow on me based on what I saw in this match. But it was a great way to hype up this. And it was a weird setup because you only had two men in the ring at the time, and the only time others can come out is through tags. I know they've done something like this in the past. I can't, I can't remember who. But I know they've done like fatal four way matches where, you know, you do these things. But it's still weird to see in 2020 when we're so used to seeing the fatal four way rules be utilized. Awesome match overall. Josh Alexander won with a double under underhook driver. And so many cool spots, and I kind of forgot how great Ace Austin is, how much he's improved since joining Impact. One of the spots that's probably going to stand out to me and probably to a lot of you if you check it out is at one point in the match, Ace Austin pulls a card out of his sleeve, out of his, like, basically it's like he's got a sleeve instead of like an elbow pad. So he pulls out a card and puts it between Alex Shelley's hand and pulls it, basically giving him a paper cut. And just the spot is so, like, Good. I absolutely love it. And I remember watching his stuff in MLW when he was really kind of getting started and really building steam. And now he's in Impact Wrestling. He's really done a lot of great things. I just wish he as found, he would have found Greener Pash to be on a bigger spotlight because he definitely is a guy that could be one of your top stars. Then we get to Deanna Perrazzo taking on Susie for the Knockouts title. And this Sue Young, for those who haven't necessarily caught up with it, is basically now it's no longer... Sue Young, it's Susie. So you'll hear a lot more about her throughout this story. But I love it. Perrazzo is so damn good in the ring. It was a great moment to see Grace win the title, but then hand it over to Perrazzo like not long after was perfect as well. And it, again, it continues to build things up as we get closer to Bound for Glory. And Perrazzo was so damn smooth. There was a combo of her where it was like three straight moves, like back to back to back. Just looked perfect. You had Prazo hit the running knee lift into a Russian leg sweep into an arm bar. Was absolutely perfect. And then, you know, towards the end of the match, Deanna winds up getting the win and winning by submission, leaving Susie laying. Thanks to Kimberly. I believe she had a little bit of a distraction. And then Kylie Ray, who's going to be Prazo's opponent for Bound for Glory, she was at ringside in the corner of Susie. And the post match beat down by Kimberly makes you know why you're rooting for Kylie Ray, who you should be rooting for anyways, to beat that bully up at bound for glory in just a few weeks time. Then you get to the main event. And this is probably one of my favorite match all week long of a lot of stuff that I've watched. And it's because the fact I think the storyline behind it was very well done. Eric young, Eddie Edwards for the impact world championship. Eddie Edwards won it back at slam anniversary now. And then Eric young wound up winning it about a month ago or so, or so, if I'm not mistaken. And it's amazing to think how much better Young has been booked since his return to the company than he was ever in WWE. And the match starts off really strong. 
much of it's being outside the ring. And at one point, Eric Young comes up bloody. It's like near the eye, and that absolutely looked gruesome. And then a lot of other matches, the spots that made me cringe. One of those is about probably midway through the match. All of a sudden, Young pulls Eddie Edwards, almost a David Richards, listen to me. All of a sudden, puts him like between the second turnbuckle and the, and the top buckle and hits him with a neck breaker. It looked so bad. I just was like, Ugh. And then eventually, Young started to work the knee a little bit more throughout the second half of the match. And it ruled. There was a lot of really cool spots I had written down. Like Eric countering the Boston knee party and then Edwards countering the top rope bulldog that Young was trying to do with a blue thunderbomb off the top rope. Just holy hell, so much great spots. And then Eric Young retains after working the knee throughout the second half of that match with a knee bar after he hit the pile driver, which, by the way, just a great combo in general to kind of put together. And they weren't done. Young was basically going to try and destroy Eddie Edwards forever. But then Rich Swan makes the save as they fade into black and they continue to sell the main event that was set up months ago. And it really speaks to the one of the big strengths of Impact Wrestling is the fact that they love to do long-form storylines with a great payoff. And this is a prime example of what I'm talking about. But overall, I felt like, you know, Impact did a great job putting this card together from top to bottom. And they did a great job, you know, doing what they could, considering the pandemic and all that stuff. And this was a really good pay-per-view overall. And, you know, yes, you had some weird, mucky finishes, but still, tons of fun to watch. And I'd recommend you go check that out. If you're an Impact fan, hell, if you're not even, even if you're not an Impact fan, you haven't watched in a good while, go out of your way and check this stuff out. Then we get to NXT TakeOver 31, and first off, I love a lot of things about this show, and I'm going to get to them a little bit, especially the beginning of it. I love the fact that they did an open paying homage to the Capital Wrestling Corporation as they introduced the Capital Wrestling Center. And then they open up with the North American Championship match, an absolute banger, if I ever did say so myself. Love Priest's entrance inside the Reimagined Performance Center with him doing the arrow, with him doing the bow and arrow pose, the archer, and the way he did that towards the Titan Tron, then did it towards the new like video wall, which is also known as a Thunderdome light. I liked a lot of the stuff they did for that, and they were really good all the way around in the ring. And I like the I like the new Performance Center. It's basically a blend of Thunderdome, real fans. It also has a fence and then plexiglass, or basically what I was saying was it's not actual, not an actual fence. It's kind of like a tarp almost over it. It looks dumb, but at the same time, I like it. But there was like a couple sequences I was blown away by. One of those was Priest early on in the concert, probably the first like three, four minutes of the match. Yeah, Priest going for a power slam, which was trying to be countered to Gargano escape, and it countered by Priest into an attempt of the reckoning, and it was just a great match throughout. There was also another spot that kind of frustrated me. Calling the aside DDT a standing slice bread, and Gargano hit that counter out of the reckoning just so, so good. And I'm starting to like Damian Priest a lot more as a wrestler. One hell of a talent. He's a great guy to have. And the fact he's such a big dude, he could pull together like some really brutal finishers. I mean, the, the Set out choke slam he did was badass. 
And then, of course, it's all about the finish was brutal. Hitting, you know, Gargano with the reckoning, which is basically like the crossroads. But he does it from the second rope where it looked like he almost spiked him on his head. Just absolutely rough. And then we get the second match of the night. Whoo, this was a banger. Velveteen Dream versus Kushida. Dream came out in Doc Brown cosplay, which you can make your own jokes about his personal life. I'm not going to do that because, honestly, he shouldn't be in the WWE. But then you have, you know, again, Kushida's a big fan of Back to the Future, so he attacks him from behind for the Back to the Future homage, and it was an absolute banger from there. Kushida t- like really attacking that previously hyperextended elbow of Dream making sure the Purple Rainmaker doesn't affect him nearly as much, and more importantly, is he able to really control it during the finish? Because Kushida hits the top rope hoverboard lock, which blew me away. And then the match continues and ends after the Dream Valley driver is countered back into the hoverboard lock. Just so damn good. And Kushida just continues to beat the tar out of him even more after the match to where security has to come out and stop it. So well done. Probably one of my favorite matches and that's saying some because if you can tell like at least three or four matches on this card that could be contenders for a match of the year in WWE alone. Then we get to the NXT Cruiserweight Championship match. Not necessarily a whole lot to kind of write home about it, but still solid enough. Santos retains in a really well done match. Typical flippy ish. I enjoyed it, but not necessarily my 100% cup of tea. Then we get to the women's title match, the penultimate match of the card. This card goes by fast, but Io Shirai, Candice LeRae, I mentioned this to a friend of mine. These two cannot have a bad match. They do a great job putting together a great card top to bottom, and this is a this is another prime example of doing just that. Love it. Then we get to the main event. Kyle O'Reilly, Finn Balor, probably the best match of the year in WWE in 2020. Finn Balor does retain, but just so much intrigue about what happens next with the Undisputed Era, what happened out of Cole, West Ridge Holland, what's Ridge Holland have to do with all this, and more. There's so many different questions that I have to ask. I've been wondering what all has been going on with it, but I love the fact that there is a story going forward now with what's going on with the Undisputed Era now that the leader, Adam Cole, got taken out. Why did Rich Holland do that? Is somebody paying him off? Is there a little bit of mob ties going on? There's a lot of questions. I'm really looking forward to hearing maybe some of those answers not too far down the line. But overall, NXT TakeOver was really, really good. It was as expected, a lot of great spots, a really well-done show overall. I don't know what it is, but NXT is just very much like the independent dream to where it's like tons of false finishes and all this crap. And it's very much, you know, it burns you out. But I still love what whenever you have a big takeover event. I think you could have just done without this, at least to the end of the month. Give me a Halloween Havoc NXT takeover. If you're going to do one, instead of just calling it NXT TakeOver 31 because it's so damn boring. It made me lose interest in the show because of the fact that it was just a numbered 
NXT TakeOver. Just zero effort behind it. You didn't need to do it. You just did one at SummerSlam. Could have just taken a, a few more like weeks off before you go ahead and fire off the gun and say, hey, it's time for this again because in a month we're going to have another one around Survivor Series, which I get, but still. just I need a little less of all that work to get by. Just That's the one thing. Just going to wrap it up with a couple of bit of big news that has also popped up on the day and also, you know, involving pro wrestling. And one big thing that popped up and I'm really disappointed in, and one day I'm just going to go ahead and do a review of all the seasons, and Netflix has reversed the decision and given the three count to Glow. They were going to go ahead and try and do a fourth season of Glow, but COVID-19 has done way too much, and then it's canceled the dramedy based on the 1980s wrestling promotion, which has been really good and awesome. But it's so disappointing. You know, they had one one last run back in August after the release of the third season, and they wanted to bring it back, and then they botched, and they actually wound up getting trying to get everybody back together to do this. Even Awesome Kong, who's taking time off from her AEW gig to help them get ready to do at least one more season. But they are done. I'm disappointed with the fact that Glow isn't getting its fourth season, getting its season to kind of wrap things up in a nice little bow, but it is what it is. I completely understand that. But the one thing I'm looking forward to all this week is, and next week too, is the fact that there is a WWE draft, and I feel like I'm going to try and get somebody on, maybe an old friend, get somebody on to do a little bit of a mock draft party. He's going to do this on Friday, October 9th, and Monday, October 12th on Raw in SmackDown. Is the WWE draft, now if NXT exists in this, we're not sure yet, but you never quite know. But I'm looking forward to seeing what the hell goes on and who is where after it's all said and done. I think it's interesting just to kind of think about how do you book it. Obviously, certain superstars are probably not going to go away. But what happens if they draft Asuka to SmackDown and they draft Bailey to Raw? Do they basically do title swappies or something? It just does not. There's a lot of questions that I do have and I'll, I'll probably still have for a good while. But that's about all we got for this week's Cajun Strong Style Podcast. Appreciate you listening in however you do. So once again, be it through the free 103.7 The Game mobile app, 1037thegame.com, Audio Mac, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, however you do so, we appreciate the hell out of you for listening because you get to be listening to a million other podcasts in the world, but you stuck around for about 30 minutes with yours truly, the famous CD, talking all things pro wrestling. We're going to try and get a little bonus action with this pod later on in the week. If not, it is what it is, but I want to do a mock draft involving the WWE as we get closer to Friday's first night of the WWE Draft in 2020.